وقوله الحق بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وكذلك جعلناكم أمة وسطا لتكونوا شهداء على الناس صدق الله العلي العظيم اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم A discussion on social justice has been our topic tonight is lecture number three. Yesterday we began our content by introducing the base verse of our discussion from Surah Baqarah verse 143, the opening two lines or line and a half of this verse. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places a responsibility on our shoulders, and says that we have made you a just nation. وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَتَى وَسَتَى A middle nation, a just nation, a balanced nation. Not just for your own benefit. So what? لِتُكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ So you, you as a nation can be a witness and a source of emulation for what? For everybody else. And we began speaking a little bit about this massive topic of social justice, Adlai Ijtima'i, yesterday by looking at the social concept of this discussion. And we talked about collectivism yesterday. And every night you'll get used to my recaps, I do it for myself just so I can kind of get a smooth running start into today's new discussion, but it's important that we kind of link every single one of these uh, discussions together. Because like I said, you know, we are moving now towards the day of Ashura and those critical discussions before the day of Ashura will only be effective and only make sense when these preliminary discussions in the beginning of the Ashura make sense. We talked about collectivism and three major points from yesterday. Number one was collectivism inside of the fiqh. I gave examples of jama'ah prayer, of walimas, of all these different avenues where Allah through his sharia is inviting us towards the idea of worshiping in a collective nature is far better for your journey towards me than that of an individual nature. Number two, I talked about the fact that the Quran talks about the munafiqeen and the kuffar being what? Ba'adhahum awliya ba'ad. They're friends of each other, they're groups together. They work together to do what? To block your path as the mu'mineen towards me, towards Allah. And why does he do this, Allah? One of the reasons that tafsir tells us is that to make, him under, to make us understand that if we wish to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to go, we have to travel through these barriers. The kuffar for us are barriers. The hypocrites for us are barriers. If we tackle these barriers individually, our margin of success will be a lot lower. However, if we go as one collective group, al-mu'minuna wal-mu'minat, ba'adhum awliya'u ba'ad, the believing men and the believing women are friends of each other. Meaning the men are friends of men and the women are friends of women. Nice try. I'm not trying to tell you that you can be friends with a non-menum. Anyways. And now as you go and travel towards me on the path of faith, when you reach these barriers in front of you, as a collective group, your margin of success and the probability of success is a lot higher when you attach yourself to the collective. And point number three from last night was collectivism in creation. Talked about that verse. Ma min fil ard. 
right? وَلَا طَائِرٍ يَطِيرٌ بِجُنَاحِهِ إِلَّا أُمَمًا أَمْثَالُكُمْ From Surah An'am, that the animal on the ground and the bird in the sky flapping its two wings, right? They are nothing but just like you in terms of your genius, your umam. Right? What is, that, what is that similarity? What is that grouping between me, this animal, and that bird? Like I said last night, we are equally created, but we are not created equally. Okay? Speaking and pointing to the fact of a very real and strong interdependence that exists in this universe where we are one portion of that interdependence. Remember my rice example from yesterday. Right? How many different factors came into play so you could have that beautiful plate of dal and rice? From the sun to the ground to the farmer to the shop to the gas to the car, etc., etc. All of that was to ensure that if we want to tread the path of this social justice agenda, we can't do it individually. Nor can we do it with an individualism mentality. We have to always believe that we belong to a greater and a collective good. Now, let me make one point clear here, and then we move on to our uh, content from tonight. You know, and that is that I don't want misconceptions from yesterday. I'm not suggesting that all the various social groups and lifestyles that exist inside, inside the society should be accepted. They're all one big happy family. Doesn't matter if somebody is an atheist or God or someone's a Wahhabi or a Shia or somebody has an alternative lifestyle as opposed to mine. We're all one big happy-go-lucky group. Ha, ha, ha. No, of course not. But yes, when you see them as a fellow human being, and we, we adopt that beautiful, beautiful collective statement by Amir al-Mu'maneen that either they are your brother in faith or your equal in humanity. When talking to Malik Yashtar and governing people, that's what I mean. I'm not talking about a pluralistic society where everyone who is on this side of the, of, of, of the mountain or that side of, of, of the mountain, we're all correct. That's not the discussion at all from yesterday. Discussion is that when we have a group that's moving towards one purpose, it's a lot faster, a lot easier, a lot less zahmat and effort when you belong to the collective. Inshallah, I'll explore, and this will make sense to you a little bit later on. When we talk about the barriers of social justice, a little bit later on in the Ashra, one of the biggest barriers of social justice is this disease known as fard girai individualism. Me, myself, and God. We have to knock that idol down. Inshallah, in a couple of nights, not tonight. In tonight, what I want to speak a little bit about tonight is something called irada, will. And I want to define and explain to myself, to the best of my ability, a concept known as naqsul gharav. Naqvul gharav. What that means is the actual translation of this concept, and I'll, I'll explain to it in, in a little bit. And tonight we have some very critical and crucial discussions. And, I, and I'm telling you, you're going to hear that from me a lot. Okay? Because like I said, the way that I construct my ashra is that all these opening traditions, all, all these opening lectures are, will all come into play a little bit later on. Okay? But the example I'll give you is my baked chicken, my famous baked chicken. Those who know, they know. Those who don't know, pray for tawfiq, inshallah. When I make my baked chicken, I can maybe cook one, max two meals in my house. 
One of them is, you know, Baba's famous baked chicken, as it's called inside of my house. And the process is very simple. I won't give away my ingredients because then, then I'll go bankrupt. We, I defrost the chicken, I take it out, I put it aside. Then I get a bowl and I put my marinade inside that bowl. I'll give you a few ingredients, not all of it. A magician never reveals his tricks. So a little bit of yogurt, of course, a little bit of tandoori masala, adik lesson, ginger and garlic, which is a must, of course, right? Ketchup, Diana sauce, oh, Diana sauce. And mayo, salt and pepper. Mix it up, the marinade is ready, put the marinade aside. Not yet, okay? Then I defrost my chicken, I cut my potatoes in half, those little small roasted potatoes, those, they're called golden potatoes, small ones, cut them in half, lay down the, uh, the, the, the glass baking, uh, uh, baking uh, tray, whatever you call it, and then the marinade comes. Right now, we're getting the marinade ready in this ashra. Later on, it's a horrible example, I know. Later on, inshallah, we'll use that marinade to, to actually get the actual crux. The crux is the baked chicken. Again, those who know, you know, man. If you don't know, I'm sorry. Naqsul Gharaz. The actual translation, the literal translation of Naqsul Gharaz is the unfulfillment of a purpose. There's a purpose, there is a will to fulfill that purpose, but that purpose never gets fulfilled. Okay? Now, what I want to do initially in tonight's discussion and then move on and use that as a segue and a bridge to some very crucial discussions later on in my, in, in my speech tonight, that is to compare the will of Allah, the irada of Allah, and the will of the insan. Okay? When Allah wills something, when he wishes for something, when he desires something, as opposed to me willing something, desiring something, is there a difference? Of course there is. In Allah's existence, there lies perfection, okay? There lies unlimitedness, okay? What we cannot accept is the fact that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills something, if he wishes for something to occur, then our belief in tawheed forces us to believe that whatever Allah, Allah wills, will happen. Because if somebody, if somebody has a plan, a purpose, a hadaf, a gharaz, and it goes unfulfilled, that is a reflection of their imperfection and their limitedness. Remember, in the world of tawheed, in the world of theology, right, imperfections equals limit, uh, uh, limits. Limits equals imperfections. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is both perfect and unlimited. And any unfulfillment of any will of his, if he was to say, I wish this happens and it doesn't happen, that's known as a deficiency, an imperfection, a limited existence. And I'm sorry, we can't accept that inside of the world of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inside the thought of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if this was a theology ashra, I would explain why. But the assumption is that all of you understand the fact that Allah is both perfect and unlimited. Okay? We, on the other hand, we will things all we want. I want this, I wish this happens, I hope this happens. All the time, we have all these great and grand desires, and sometimes they're fulfilled, and sometimes they're left unfulfilled. So naqsul gharaz is impossible in the, in the kingdom and domain of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is very much possible in our domain. 
How many times have we had these plans, grand plans? I hope this, I wish this, I really want this to happen? Doesn't happen. For reasons that are, of course, built into our creation. The man has been created weak. That weakness sometimes blocks their purpose, their goal, their hadaf to be fulfilled. Okay? The human being has been created haste. We're quick human beings. We make quick decisions. We, we, we turn on our own purposes very well, very quickly. If we have a certain purpose to meet and that purpose is not met within a couple of days, we're like, ah, forget it. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Move on to something else. And that purpose goes unfulfilled. That's okay in our world. We're limited. We're flawed. We're imperfect. We're weak, we're easily swayed. We change our minds all the time. We don't have this power that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. So we talk about the irada of Allah. Allah is murid. When we say he's murid, that means that whatever he wills is going to happen. Right? Kun fayakun. He says be, it became. It's not possible he says be and nothing happens. That's mahal. It's impossible in the eyes of Tawheed. Okay? Why do I mention that? For my AV guys, are you guys ready? Surah Qasas, verse number 5. Surah Qasas, verse number 5, is one of those verses that starts off by talking about where Allah says, I will, I wish, I want. Well, it's a very famous verse. And I'm trying to establish tonight that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills something, desires something, wishes for something to happen, it's impossible that it won't happen. Okay? What's the verse? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Surah Qasas, verse number 5. Allah says, we desire, we wish to bless those who are considered to be weak in the land, the mustaza'afin, the oppressed. We wish to bless them. How are you going to bless them, Allah? We're going to make them leaders in this universe. We'll make them inheritors. Okay, those very same people, that same group of people that today are, are oppressed under the rule of the oppressor, while others may think these are people who will always be weak, always be the mazloom, always be the mustaz'af, Allah's irada has something else planned. You think about those groups that today are oppressed, and when I say oppressed, I don't mean that they define themselves as oppressed. There are many groups out there right now that play the Muslim tag and the victim tag, even though there's, no, there's nothing about them, about them that is victimized. When we talk about Muslim, we talk about those rights that are stripped of them that God has given them. God has established this is a right to be given to this person. We as the insan have taken this right away from them. That's now a Muslim. Those people that in today's world are considered to be mustaz'af, the oppressed. Allah says that I want to bless them with leadership, I want to bless them with inheritance. The Quran says in another, in another area, it is written in the Zabur, after the dhikr, after the Quran, that what? That surely this land will be inherited by the righteous servants. All of these tell me that this um, 
this desire that I have, that all of you have, to see a just nation, to see social justice, racism being removed, bigotry being removed, elitism being removed, these walls that we've put up based on culture and language and color all broken down one by one by one is going to happen. Why? Allah says, I desire, I will. And if Allah says, this is what I want to happen, it doesn't happen, it's impossible. Allah can't be imperfect. Allah can't be limited. Allah can't be deficient. And when I unfulfill, or when I, yes, when I unfulfill one of my plans, when one of my plans go unfulfilled, that's a sign of my deficiency, a sign of my weakness. You weren't able to carry out what you wanted to carry out. It doesn't exist in Allah's kingdom. Now, if we accept that, for sure you're sitting there saying, okay, fine, Sayyidah said. If that's the case, then why are we fighting for social justice? Why are we out there chanting? Why are there hashtags? Why are we posting? Why are, all these, why are we following this guy and that guy just to make sure? Why am I out there supporting, let's say, the African-American community? If Allah ultimately is going to give these people victory, then let's just wait till it happens and live our life normally. Ah, beautiful question. Great question, grasshopper. Let's understand the answer. Because from this idea of Allah's irada and the idea of naqsul gharaz, a lot of different things are going to be asked. And your mind right now is racing. One of them is, fine. If it's going to happen, what's my role in all this? And number one, you're right. It's going to happen. This world will not end without his divine government being established. Without us, inshallah, if we are alive when this happens, and we are included in this process, we will witness what a socially just society will look like under his divine leadership, inshallah. If that's going to happen, a promise of Allah, an arada of Allah, then what are we doing? Why are we fighting? Why did I choose this, Muharram 1442, to talk about this topic? Because we're assuming, and the assumption is wrong, I'm sorry. We're assuming that I can continue to live a life of injustice, be unjust to me, be unjust to others, be unjust to my wife, be unjust to my kids, be unjust to Allah. I can live my life as I want to live my instinctive, animalistic freedom, right? And then when justice comes, we think, I think, oh, it will be a seamless transition from my unjust life to a socially just society. And it won't be. A person eats haram, drinks haram, lives haram every single day of their life. They are only accustomed to haram, haram, haram. You come and you present them a halal lifestyle. That's pure, that's beautiful, that's clean, that's tayyib. And you think, oh, this is great, I'll take that. No, after so much haram, that halal looks disgusting to them. After such a continuous source of haram, 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 halal, even though in its essence it's beautiful, will be rejected by the one who's accustomed himself or herself to haram. A person who's accustomed themselves to being unjust to themselves and those around them, when justice finally prevails, there won't be a, tra a seamless transition. And what we're after right now is a seamless transition from my life right now to that eventual socially just society. I have to nurture the justice inside of me. I have to cultivate it. Right? Allah says, I've made you, I've given you all the tools. 
I have made you. We have made you. When Allah says we, it's not him and, 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 and by association, association the angels or some. No, he says we. When he says na and that pronoun is, 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 is we, he's talking about his grandeur, his power, his majesty. I've made you a just nation. All the elements for you to be just are inside of you, but you have to cultivate it. You have to cultivate it. Such that when I send my wali and my hujjat and that divine government is established, the transition from your, your lifestyle or your family lifestyle or your community lifestyle or your collective lifestyle is a seamless transition from your lifestyle to the government led by my, my wali. That's what we're after, guys. A seamless transition. Don't assume. Don't assume. And inshallah, our... Our, our climax discussion before the day of Ashura, all of this discussion about justice, 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 is to culminate with justice and Imam al inshallah. But that's going to happen on the 9th of Muharram. You have to now bardash me and, 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 and put up with me until then. Right? Right now we're making the masala right now. We're making the, the, the marinate. Okay? Put it aside right now. It's going to come into play later on. So point number one, when you ask the question, why, what's the point of me doing all this, if already that's going to happen, then hopefully you understand that we're assuming it's going to be a seamless, a seamless transition. It's not going to be a seamless transition. It's not going to be a seamless transition. That's point number one. The second question you're bound to ask me is that if Allah ultimately is going to be the victor and he knows what's going to happen, then what am I doing? What is all this? Am I just carrying out... To, you know, am I just playing out something that, that, that I have no control over? If Allah ultimately is the murid, he's the one that's willing all this to happen, then where is my individual or our collective part in all of this master plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? A classic question. If Allah knows the ultimate destination of the human race, what are we doing today? Let's address that. First of all, the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is independent from our knowledge. Meaning what? You know, we don't know what Allah knows. We don't. We don't know what Allah knows. Nor does Allah enforce or force or impose His knowledge on us. We are ultimately free individuals. And that, free, that, that freedom that we have, that free will that we have, gives us the tools to make decisions. We make choices. And we're ultimately going to be judged on those choices. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately knows everything. He's alim and mutlaq. He has absolute knowledge of everything. But we don't know what God knows. And remember, this entire process of me fighting the urge to be unjust, because like it or not, and inshallah, I'll expand on that a little bit later on in the ashra, we all have a built-in racist inside of us. We all have a built-in bigot inside of us. We all have an internal elitist inside of us. The successful ones are those who fight those urges, who fight those inner idols, who break those idols actually, and begin to change the way they see people who may not look like us, a different shade than us, different gender than us, different culture than us. 
And all of this that, that, that Allah is saying, look, before the arrival of my hujjad, you are to do this and to that. Why are you asking me to do all that if ultimately you know what's going to happen? For our developments. For our developments. Because ultimately, if we stand beside that hujjad and we are there now as victors standing beside the wali of our time as he establishes a socially just system, that celebration will be ours. And the reward will be ours. Because we are the ones that travel through the past. Yes, of course God knows where we're going to end up. But we don't know where we're going to end up. And this is all a process of him nurturing us. He is our murabbi. He is our rabb. He helps us grow. All the tools to grow. But ultimately the choice to grow is us. Allah says, I've shown you the path. The path is here. This is salvation. No secrets. Time and time again through various avenues, thousands of prophets, 12 imams, our beautiful parents, the Quran, Karbala, everything, all of it has been shown to us. Now it's up to us. Either we choose to tread the path or we choose to deny the path. It's up to you, but the path has been shown. And if you elect to choose the path, it's your reward. It's not like we're going to live our life and do, make all the right decisions and Allah will be in Jannat alone. No. <laughs> If we make all the right choices, we stand beside the hujjat and we make all the rewards, that reward of paradise is for us. So yes, this effort that we have, to, we, we have right now to fight these internal idols and stand up for the African-American community, for example, and, and, and stand up for the sisters in our community, for example, and stand up for those who are mustaza'af, the people of Yemen, the people of Palestine, the people of Syria and Iraq. All of that is for our tarbiyat and our growth. Not for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> he is doing all of this so he can what? Allow us to grow. The classic example I've given before in classes too is a teacher. If you've taught uh, a students long enough for 20, 30 years, you can pick up who is who within the first two weeks of the class. You can tell this guy's gonna barely pass the class. This one's gonna fly with, 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 with grades that are amazing. Two weeks. Does that mean that at that moment you give the guy a D and you give her an A plus? Did you see how I gave the guy the D and the girl the A plus? Did you see that? Yeah. Is that, would that be a good teacher? No. Let's let the semester pan out. Let him pick up his bad habits and, teach and, and, and learn from his bad habits. Let him understand his capacity. Let her feel and, and gain confidence and learn. And I'm not going to strip them from the experience. We have to go through the experience that Allah knows where we're going to end up. But we don't know where we're going to end up. And that experience, every step of the way, every trip, every fall, every success, every elevation is for our growth, not for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's our growth. It's our flourishment. You know, I've given all, uh, you know, I've given all these examples before. I'll give it one more time, inshallah. Sometimes when I, you know, when I, when I go out in my front lawn, there's, you know, there's these, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a six uh, patio slabs, okay? Concrete slabs in the front of my house, okay? Then I have a little bit of a, uh, of a strip of grass in front of me that I, that, I, that I mow about once every like 11 months. 
<laughs> and sometimes if I really let the grass grow in between these concrete slabs, there's little, there's little weeds come out, even blades of grass come out. And sometimes you, you have to stop and you have to ask yourself how. How did this one small blade of grass cut through all the darkness and the weight of the concrete to somehow make it through the crack of daylight and grow? Ultimately, the grass is meant to grow. Its perfection is a nice, strong blade of grass. That's the kamal of grass. It grows. Grass that is brown, grass that is dead, grass that doesn't grow is not kamal. The, the perfection of grass is that it grows. The flourishment of grass is that it grows in an area when it has no business growing. The weight of the concrete, the darkness of the concrete, all of it now is telling the grass, stay where you are, don't, don't grow. I'm way too heavy for you, trust me. You one little small bit of grass can't cut through my concrete. So just submit to the higher power. I am actually, you know, in all that darkness, no sun, no water, nothing. But somehow this one or two stubborn blade of grass finds its way, crawls its way, fights its way through the weight of the concrete, the darkness of the, uh, of the ground to make its way through that one small little crack in between the concrete says, Baba, it can't be more than an inch. It pops out, only to have me cut it, bachana. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to, has to allow us to go through that flourishing process. It has to. You know, sometimes we have all the tools around us to simply what? Submit to rock bottom. Sit in our darkness. Say, I give up. You know, a defeatist attitude. I can't do it. Break our will, break our resolve. I can't get out of bed. What's the point of getting out of bed? Don't even open the blinds. Stay in your pajama, pajamas all day long. Brush your teeth at 6 p.m. Baba, you haven't brushed your teeth yet. 6 p.m. 6 p.m. I'm broken. When I, when I hear that, I'm broken. That's that blade of grass that has six concrete slabs. Have you ever tried to pick up those concrete slabs? They're mad heavy. On top of that, some rocks underneath, all this darkness upon darkness, but somehow that blade of grass cracks through. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to allow us to go through that experience. That yes, there's darkness around, a lot of darkness around, but we have to be like that blade of grass and flourish between the cracks. That's for our development. For us to say the next time the concrete slabs of life now weigh down on me, I can still grow. Albeit one little small inch, so what? But I'm not gonna submit, roll over and say, I'm done. Concrete slabs, come and take me. No, absolutely not. Nabi Yunus, in the darkness of the whale, calls out to Allah. In that darkness, calls out to Allah. There is no Allah but you, no, 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 no God but you. Glory be to you. I am the one that made that mistake. That's his flourishing. That's his growth. That's his aha moment. Amongst the darkness, fi dhulimats. If Allah is our murabi, if Allah wants to see us grow, He's not going to strip us of that experience, right? He knows this blade of grass will grow, that grass will end up weed or brown or dead. He knows, but He's not going to rob them of that experience. That teacher is not going to say, look, Mr. D, come over here. After two weeks, go back home. I'll give you a D from now. Let's just save you to the, 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 the trouble. No, go through the process. Go through the idea that, look, I know that I didn't try hard. That's why I got my D. Maybe that might be his aha moment.
moments. So question number two is the idea, wait a second, why, why, why am I living this life if Allah's will is going to be on top of everything? No. There's beauty in that. There's flourishing in that. There's growth in that. Don't settle for the concrete slabs. Because now when you add three more, six more, nine more concrete slabs, the grass will say, that's nothing, man. It's a piece of cake. Child's play. I'm going to grow no matter what. And the last question that you're bound to ask me is that, fine, we talk about Allah's will. Naqsul gharaz, irada, he's murid, he can will anything. Why doesn't he will evil to be removed from this society? Why couldn't he will the knee of that police officer to get off the neck of George Floyd? Why can't he will the people of Yemen to be void of so much dhulm and oppression? And while this is, this is a very extensive discussion, we can't always blame evil on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's made us free human beings. Okay? And with that freedom comes a choice. With that choice comes consequences. Either you see the ramifications of that consequence in this world, or you'll see it in that world. But it doesn't answer my question. Why can't all, Allah collectively, in his will, in his irada now, remove evil? Why does evil exist? And more importantly, did Allah create evil? Oh, baby. That's an important question to answer. And I'm going to do my best to tackle it. Let's try to understand what the purpose of our creation is. Let's go very slow. If I go a little bit over an hour, inshallah, you will. Uh, stay with me. And let's go very, very, very simple, very slow, okay? And, you know, talk about um, accepted principles. Let's assume that these things are accepted, because I don't have time to explain every single one, and I'll, I will stray from my topic, and I don't want to do that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to be perfect. Hadith says that. We're told that if you want to be my khalifa, khalifa, that I want to create a vicegerent on this earth, we have to be as close to perfect as possible. Now, what is perfection? Not my topic. Perfection is not an absolute principle. Meaning you cannot simply have an absolute definition of perfection and apply it to person A, B, C, D. You can't. Perfection is relative Meaning what? Your perfection is not my perfection. My perfection is not his perfection. Okay? But nonetheless, there is this overall purpose of creation for us to be the best possible version of us that we can be. Okay? The best possible version of us that we can be. And how we accomplish the best possible version of us is through good choices. Agreed? Through good choices, whether it be a, a choice of friendship, a choice of spouses, a choice of you know acting on my desires or or, or, or denying them, a choice of I don't know coming to this uh, 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 program or not going to the program, a choice of me spending my money on Hajj or on I don't know uh, you know Cancun, whatever the case may be, they're choices. 
And choices are what reflects the goodness inside of you. Okay. Choices are only there inside of us because we have free will, correct? We're not robots. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us free will. And his entire system of ajr and adab, heaven and hell, reward and punishment, is all based on this idea of free will. Those individuals who believe in an ideology of predestination, of jabr, the biggest argument against those who believe that we are only predestined is the fact that if you believe that we're only carrying out what Allah destined for us, that he's pulling the strings and we're just kind of like, you know, like a puppet living our life, then all this concept of heaven and hell, reward and punishment, squeezing of the grave, judgment, all that goes out the window. So naturally, of course, we're free individuals. And the biggest dalil and proof of our freedom is our freedom. If tomorrow you decide, let's say, to stay home from work, let's say, for example, tomorrow Sunday. Let's say tomorrow you decide, let's say, to go to Costco. Is there someone going to say, stop, don't go to Costco? No, you want to go to Costco, go to Costco. Okay. Having free will is part of our perfection. Let's address that for a moment. Let's go slow now. This is a very crucial point of tonight's lecture. Those existences that don't have free will are imperfect. Perfection, one of the components of perfection is our free will. Okay? What makes one person more perfect than the other are the choices they make in their life. Those choices are only there because of free will. Thus, free will has an integral role to play in our perfection. Okay? The problem is, <laughs> the bracket is, the on the margin notes is, that while we have free will, we also have the free will for evil as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala understands this. And that's the chance that he took in giving the insan the free will. That's the idea that I have been saying since day number one, and I will continue to say it, and that is that we have to continuously actualize the potential to be God's Khalifa and representative on this earth. What does that mean? That means that even though we have the ability to will evil, we fight that ability, we fight that urge. But yes, it's there, it has to be there. Part of the perfection process includes the existence of evil inside of us. There are evil entities inside of us. What makes us limited and what makes us free are those very evils inside of us. There's an animal inside of us. There's anger that can turn into rage inside of us. There's desire that can turn into uh, you know, a, a monster inside of us. There's hypocrisy. There's an ego. There's narcissism. Those are all evils. And we've seen individuals who act on that evil, what, what, what they become. They become monsters inside their homes, in society, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So many examples. So many examples. Open, open your eyes, walk the land. Allah says, look at the people who've ended up denying me and going into the small idols inside them. Where have they ended up? Why does Allah, Allah invite us for that? To tell us. This is the conclusion of those who have, who have elected to choose to listen to the evil inside of them. And yes, that evil was given to them at creation. 
But that's a secondary reality as opposed to a primary purpose of goodness. The primary purpose of our creation is to reach perfection. The secondary possibility is that the, the, the insan might will evil. Look, you only choose good. You're only rewarded for good. You only become good when you choose good. Baba, you choose good when evil is there to choose as well. Right? When you're at a fork in the road and one path says, I'm evil, choose me. One path says, I'm good, choose me. And your desires say, choose evil, bro, choose evil. And you say no to evil. And you say yes to the path of good. That's your process of perfection. The process of perfection is only possible by the existence of that evil path. Angels have nothing on us. They don't have this free will. They are programmed to do only good. That's it. That's why we are the highest creation of Allah. What makes us the greatest creation of Allah are the exist. Uh, one of it is the is the existence and the reality of the evils inside of us. And as every human being, as my youth out there, fight the desire to give in to their lustful lustful wants and desires, and chooses Allah's path. Hadith says Allah summons the angels. Look at my 18-year-old. Look at my 16-year-old. He chooses. She chooses to wear a hijab. In an Instagram society, chooses to cover herself in a society that is flaunting everything. That society that flaunts everything has to exist for her to make the right choice. That evil is important for them to make the right choice, but it's not the primary purpose. I'll give you a very simple example. Okay, I'm trying to teach my young son to ride a bike. Okay, may God help me. I have bought this brother knee pads, elbow pads, a helmet, I don't know, eye pads, nose pads, lip pads, everything. Short of wrapping this kid in bubble wrap, he's covered. Because I know he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like to fall, does not like to fall. And he will, you know, he won't let me let go of his seat because Baba, I might fall. Baba, I might fall. And I can't tell him that, look, Hassan, you're not going to fall. I'm going to say, look, if you fall, get back up. The primary purpose of this whole exercise of me running down the street holding your seat is not for you to fall. It's for you to learn how to ride a bike. But one of the possible effects of this, you're going to fall. It's a secondary effect to a primary purpose. But if Hassan says, you know what, Baba, forget it. Because I might fall, I'm not even going to learn how to ride a bike. Doesn't make sense to the logic. You say, look, Baba, if you fall, get back up. But learn how to ride a bike, man. So evil has to be there. It sounds odd. Digest it. Let it marinate. Like big chicken. Ah, ha, ha. Like big chicken. Let it marinate. That evil is critical for the development of, of, of my perfection. So if Allah's primary purpose of our creation is for us to flourish, that blade of grass will only flourish when the concrete slabs are there. Otherwise, there's no flourishing. There's no flourishing. There's no distinction. There's no fadail. There's no sort of celebration if we are constantly only presented with the right choice. They're all one-way streets towards Allah. Oh, mashallah, you reached Allah. Of course I did. I just kept turning. I didn't make any choice. No. 
the one who reaches Allah by having different avenues of evil and shaitan being presented to them, that's a person who deserves a reward. That's a person who deserves a little ta'liya and fada'il and distinction. Somebody who is never programmed for evil, there's no distinction for them. The one who is faced with evil as a possible choice and rejects that, that's the one that requires a little bit of pat on the back. So evil is important. I'm sorry, this sounds odd. Now you might ask, oh, you know, the people of Yemen are suffering. The people of Palestine since, since the 40s are suffering. That's a little bit of a different discussion. That's the human being now, choosing now to be evil. Let's not always place every instance of evil in this world on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Part of the process of Him making us free-willed individuals is the fact that you have to live with your consequences. He lives, we live in a law, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a universe of causality, cause and effect. That cause and effect has to happen. Remember, Allah's power is governed by His wisdom. Can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do something impossible? Of course He can. But will he? He won't. His wisdom won't allow him to go against those things that are impossible. And 2 plus 2 equals 4 cannot be turned into 5, even by God. Can't be, because his wisdom won't allow it. I'm not saying he's powerless. I'm saying he's wise. And yes, if, I, if this was a different discussion, a different topic, I talk about the hardships of the people and the hardships of a group of people and the consequences of those individuals. That's why he, he reminds us, don't, uh, don't be fooled by the fursat and the opportunity and the mohalat and the, uh, and, and, the, and the respite that we give those who are running amok and running injustice all over the world as us accepting their actions. Of course not the more dhulm and more oppression they do on this group or that group, the, the, the deeper their grave they're digging with their own hands. So my brothers and my sisters, before I move on to Masaib now, it's been long enough. These things are not easy discussions to digest or even to, to, to deliver. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an arada, he is a murid. He wills, he wishes, but whatever he wishes is going to happen. It's not, it's not like me, where I say one thing and I can't even fulfill that. Whatever he desires, where you see uridu or nuridu inside the Quran, I desire, we desire, meaning Allah desires, whatever is going, whatever he says in that verse is going to happen. This society will taste social justice, absolutely, in the process. Three, three things as summary and then Masaib. One is that don't assume the transition is seamless. It won't be unless we from now cultivate the sense of justice inside of us. We have a mini day of judgment inside of us. We have this nafs lawama, this nafs that is constantly in a, in a state of regret. We are the judge, we are the jury, we are the executioner, we are the defendant. We're all these things for ourselves. We do something and we regret. We do something and we hit our head. That's why hadith says half of tawbah, half of repentance is remorse. That remorse is good for you. That's all inside of you. Many small day of judgment inside of us. 
Number two, the concept and the idea of Allah stripping us of the experience of, of us building this justice inside of us goes against him as a murabbi. He is a nurturer. He's a murshid. He helps us grow. Part of that growth is our own experience. Part of the growth of that D student is to go through a semester of a D class. Part of the process of him teaching Nabi Yunus what you did wrong in terms of tarqiyah awla with, with, with your people was to put him in that darkness. Stop for a moment, remove yourself from that situation, and for a second now thought, and, and think for a moment. And that's when he comes to his realization. And finally, evil is a part of this perfection building process. You're only going to get rewarded for the right choice when a bad choice is there also. You're only going to be rewarded for justice when injustice is there as well. You're only people of haq and truth when falsehood it also presents itself to you. If that falsehood doesn't present itself to you, then, then by default you choose truth. There's no distinction in that. I've made my point. So let's try to understand this massive and very deep-rooted topic of social justice. And let it marinate. These are not easy discussions. Let it kind of, you know, sleep on it, spend a, a few days before you email me and ask yourself, okay, did this make sense? Go back and listen to, 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 uh, 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 to the speech. Do my ziyara, to, you know, one more time. And, you know, okay, this makes sense. That may, if after a couple of days that it doesn't make sense, then reach out to me. But the logic now, it fits. And it is that very evil that Imam Hussein left to Medina and Mecca to expose. It's that very evil. And, I, and although I know that on the night of Zilhaj we already have a majlis for Jam Muslim ibn Aqil, I think it is a tribute to him that in these first 10 nights before we begin on the Ashab of Imam Hussein, he's also a critical Sahabi of Imam Hussein. But I want to spend a few minutes tonight talking a little bit about Musab ibn Aqil. I don't want to go through the whole history. It's already been a very, a very lengthy discussion, and all of you I know are tired. It's enough to know that when thousands upon thousands of letters were written to Imam Hussein, that Mullah, we are yateem, we don't accept him to be our Khalifa, please come and rescue us. And he sends, of course, his Safir, meaning his, you know, Muslim ibn Aqil, and he arrives in Kufa. The books say that those who wrote letters were maybe 12,000 people. The lowest number I've seen is 12,000 letters. The books say 25,000 people lined up in front of Muslim to give bayat. 25,000 people. I mean, this is on the verge of, of, of a revolution in, in, in Kufa. And Nu'man ibn Bashir, the, the, at that moment the governor of Kufa, didn't have the, the confidence of Yazid. So he dispatched Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad, a ruthless leader, leader who knew exactly what to do. It's almost as, as if the books would tell us that he knew the Kufis very well. So he begins to, of course, threaten them, instill fear inside of them. 
Make them somebody who's weak. Whisper to, 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 to their family members, to their women, and say, look, you know, if your brothers, if your sons, if your husbands side with Muslim, you can expect this type of lifestyle. And near the end of it, of course, in the Masjid of Kufa, when Muslim was, was, was praying Salat, what started off to be a massive jama'at of, of, of individuals, after Salat al-Isha, he turns around and there's not a single soul behind him. His laqab, his title of gharib Kufa, is a heartbreaking one. This man now went from 25,000 strong to nobody around him. Even the super heavyweight Shias were either killed or put under house arrest or thrown into jail. But, uh, but, but Muslim was completely by himself. He comes out of the masjid surrounded by the men of Ibn Ziyad. One, one moment in history was when Ibn Ziyad was dispatching, they, some say 300 men to go capture Muslim. 300 men for this one man. Somebody asked Ibn Ziyad, do you really need 300 men for one guy? And that's what Ibn Ziyad says, you don't know this family. He's from the Bani Hashim. He's from the family of, of, of Ali ibn Abi Talib. 300 may not be enough. And the hukum and the order was to bring him back to the palace of Naziyad alive. Arrest him. Don't kill him. Don't bring his body. Bring him alive. Now, Muslim has no choice, completely by himself, begins now to fend off. How much can one man do? Begins to battle with 300 men. He gets tired and begins to run from the, from the scene. Now, of course, he's going inside the small little streets of Kufa, tired, hungry, thirsty. He ends up stopping at a home, looking for, begging for a drop of water, just a drop of water. He ends up at somebody's home. She opens the door and she says, who are you? A random man in my house. What do you need? He looks up at her and says, just a drop of water. I need a drop of water, please. She gives him water. But who are you from? Where are you from? I've come from Medina. Where in Medina? Which Kabila? Which tribe? He says, I'm from the Bani Hashim. What is your name? My name is Muslim ibn Aqil. Whose, whose family are you from? He's the, he then says, do you know Amir al-Mu'mineen? Yes, I know Amir al-Mu'mineen. He's my mola in Medina. I am the son of the brother of Amir al-Mu'mineen. What are you doing here? They want to Arrest me. Finally, now when they grab Muslim ibn Aqil, they bring him to Ibn Ziyad's tower on top of the palace now, about to kill the man. Muslim ibn Aqil now is asked, Do you have any akhri khaishat, any, any last wish? He then says, Please write a letter to my uncle Hussein to not come to Kufa. The people of Kufa are not ready. Just before he's about to be killed, he turns towards Medina. Assalamu alaikum. 
Muslims killed, thrown over the path of the Ziyad. Imam Hussein now had already left Mecca on his way towards Kufa. He stops, says, Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bibi Zainab says, Bhaiya, who are you sending your salams to? He then says, Muslim has been shaheed. Bring me his daughter. The daughter of Muslim comes to Imam Hussein. Imam Hussein picks her up. Imam Hussein hugs her. Imam Hussein kisses her. Imam Hussein places his hand over her head. From now on, I am your father. From now on, I am your wali. Don't worry, you're not alone in this world. You're not yatim in this world. I will look after you. I will love you like your father. As long as you have me, everything will be okay. Mawla Hussein, I'll say this much. So much love for the yatim daughter of Muslim. My only dua is that your sakina is nowhere close when she watches the way that you treat the yatim daughter of Muslim. She'll also expect that same treatment when she's made a yatim after Asri Ashur. But sakina, where your father kissed and hugged and, 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 and showed compassion to the daughter of Muslim, when you are made a yatim, nobody will come and hug you. They'll slap your face. Nobody will come and place their hand over your head. They'll rip out your earrings. Nobody will come and tell you that you have, now have a father in me. They'll burn the very kurta that you're wearing. We ask you, Allah, to accept our condolences towards the shahadat of Muslim ibn Aqil. فَيَعْلَمُ الَّذِينَ ظَلُمُوا أَيَّ مُنْقَلِبِينَ يَنْقَلِبُونَ إِنَّ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept this qaleel or ibadat insha'Allah. We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to please cure all of those who are suffering from the coronavirus, any virus of the body or the soul. We ask you please grant them shifa insha'Allah. We ask you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect the ummah. From this deadly virus, we ask you, Allah, to weaken the hands of the enemies of humanity, to strengthen and empower the mustazafin of the world. And finally, Allah, we ask you, allow us to stand beside the Imam of our time when he comes. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.